0: One Hope Church um, I want to start this off by um, um, I want all of us just to say hey to Greg and Rachel because I know they'll be listening to this so I'll come to counter three of three. Everyone say, hey, Greg and Rachel. One, two, three. Hey, hey, Greg and Rachel. We love you guys, and we know y'all are, are going to be listening to this. At least y'all, I hope y'all will be listening to this. But, um, yeah, I had that idea last week, because um, um, they're, um, they, they I, like, I refuse to believe that they're not, like, still here in a sense, so, <clears throat> um, so today I'm going to be reading from um, 1 Peter 4, 1-11, through 11. if y'all have your Bibles or y'all want to follow along, I'm going to be reading from the New International Version, which always confused me as a kid because it's in English, is it really like international? I don't know, so I always, I always think about that. <laughs> Um, but first, um, I just want to pray for our time, um, invite the Lord's presence here. Um, so yeah, um, Jesus, um, we are in love with you. Um, thank you. Just thank you. We, we don't want to, um, go hastily through this, Lord, through this time, this morning, we want to just reflect on just the the truth um, that you have set us free, um, and that you've freed us to be a part of your family, and we just we invite your presence here. You are the most welcome guest this morning. Um, pray that you would um, bless my words. Um, <clears throat> that as it says. Um, in your word um, that one who speaks speaks um, speak is the words of God and so um, Jesus I want to do that this morning but I need your help Um, because I know I can't do it myself and so um, we just pray that you would um, have all of us this morning help yourself to every ounce of our hearts and our minds we love you so much We're just so thankful, and we're so glad to be here with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Okay, so I'll be at 1 Peter 4. All right, so Peter writes, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in, the, in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. <clears throat> the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one, to one another without grumbling, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ Jesus. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So um, I'm going to kind of... um, start off with a little transparency just kind of let you all know what I'm going to be doing. Um, So um, as I was preparing for this, I saw a lot of similarities between what Peter is instructing us here and what Jesus was instructing the 12 before he returned to the Father. Um, And and so something must have stuck with Peter, which was good um, for our sake. But the first thing that stuck out to me here was in, um, and this might be a little out of order, so bear with me, but when Peter's describing somebody who has suffered in his body, um, and it says he is done with sin, and as a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for human desires, but rather for the will of God. And um, if you look back in John 4, in um, a context, the context with John four, um, with where I'm going to be reading in John four, um, Jesus has just um, spoken with a woman from Samaria at Jacob's well, which I actually went to this summer, and I'll talk about that another time, um, and <clears throat> and explained to her how there's a time coming where. Um, whether you 're a Samaritan or a Jew or a Gentile that the true believers, the true worshipers of God will worship in spirit and in truth, um, Jesus kind of giving um, almost a um, like a foretaste of the veil being torn, um, the religious veil being torn and the and the kingdom being opened to the whole world and but when he when the disciples returned to him and they they said you know gets, you know, Rabbi, get something, get something to eat. It's very, um, which if you think about it, it's very, um, you know, like the typical, kind of like the, the Jew, like the Jewish stereotype of like, you look hungry, get something, like please have some food. That's, that's what I imagine going on, is going on there. But he says, um, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? He said, my food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish, the work, finish his work. And when we look back and, 1 Peter 4, Jesus was the first one to truly hunger to do the will of him, um, to do the will of his Father. And the gift that he gives us is that same hunger that he had. Um, That hunger and that desire to do the will, to not do our own will, but to do the will of our Father, is a gift that Jesus gives us. Um, It's not just him that gets to have that. He invites us in. Um, and I have a, there's a phrase, um, and so those of you who don't know, um, I work at the Wesley Foundation um, and started a ministry area called Peacemakers. Um, we do a lot of teaching with Christian students, helping them learn how to engage and love the Muslim community and, and, and in a very, in an example, in a way that points to the life of Jesus. And what I, a thing I often teach from there is that Jesus is the means And he's the example. Um, Jesus is the means through which we can become like him. Um, His death and his resurrection, his victory over sin and death that he gives us, um, frees us to follow his life as we see it in the Gospels. And so our thoughts become like his, our actions become like his, our hearts and our love becomes like his. And I think one of the greatest examples of this is that desire to not do our own will, but to do the will of our Father. Um, that Jesus frees us to follow him as he seeks to do the will of his fathers. He sought to perfectly complete the will of his Father. Um, and, um, and another thing about that verse, too, that, that stuck out to me is that I don't think anywhere... In verse 2, at least in this translation, does Peter use the word try? He says, as, as a result?" it doesn't say he tries to live the rest of his earthly life, not for human desires, but for the will of God. He tries to, he tries to deny himself. He, he, he tries to, to hunger for God. It just says he does it. And that is, to me, is what sticks out most to me from that is that is a result of being transformed by Christ. That this isn't something we have to, you know, and it's, there is like striving and prayer and surrender. But what Paul says here is that you have that right in Christ now. That this is not some very distant goal, very high goal, high lofty unattainable goal to hunger to do God's will. It's something that is a fact. This is a truth that is in your life right now. Um, and so I really want to encourage you guys that, that living completely to do the will of your Father is something you have access to right now. Um, and that's something I really urge you to take to Him and to thank Him for first, but say, Jesus, you have given me freedom to long and hunger to do your will and not my own. So what does that look like today? What will you have me do? Because because of your Son, I can now follow you completely. Um, And the first step of that is claiming that truth as your own. And that, depending on the season of our lives, can be really hard. It can be really hard when you've been struggling in sin for a while, when this old sin that you thought you've done away with is now creeping back into your life, to claim the fact that you have the right and the ability to hunger only for God and to do His will. And the first step of that is in faith, claiming that as your own, claiming the righteousness of Jesus, claiming the blood of Jesus over your life. That wherever you are right now, you do not have to work your way back, that Jesus has already paid in full for your sin. And so those of us who are struggling with any particular sin right now, those of us who feel wrestled and and pinned by it, I have um, this word for you. And, and hear me out. Stop fighting it. You don't need to fight something that is already dead. You don't need to fight something that already, whose power over you has already been canceled. Um, uh, Graham Cook, um, once, who's a, a pastor, once said, we don't deal with our former selves because God already did. He, he killed your former self. He, he put it to death in Jesus, in the body of Jesus. So it's dead. It has no power over you. you. You don't deal with it anymore. You just leave it. It's already dead. Leave it behind. You don't have to go and, 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 and... It's not like this wrestling match between your you know like two separate but equal entities in your soul that are fighting, your old self and your new self. The, the old self is already dead. And so those of us who are in that right now... I just really urge you to take that to Jesus and say, Jesus, I'm leaving this here because you dealt with it already. It's done. It it has no power over me anymore. I'm just going to follow you and leave it behind. And so I think when, when, when Peter says that they are done with sin, that's not him saying that you'll never sin again. It means that you are done being a slave to it. You're done being owned by it. You are now fully, like you fully belong to Jesus now, and everything you do is right, is going to be pursuing righteousness, not like after you deal with your sin, but just once you leave it, you just you just you just put it behind you and you strive. That's what Paul says. I like, forget what is behind. I press towards what ahead. Jesus is calling us onward. He's not calling us to first go and, and, and fix this part of your life. He said, no, leave it and follow me. Um. Uh, uh, during the um, One Hope Advance back in January, MLK weekend, I think that was, um, January 17th, Megan is on point, um, January 17th during um, the Advance weekend, um, I got a call from a student that I disciple um, who was had been struggling with a sin and, and he, um, he said he was just afraid that he was starting to fall back into it. And so we spoke on the phone for a good 30 minutes um, and I just kept urging him. I said, I said, just claim the blood, claim the blood of Jesus, claim the blood of Jesus. Stop trying to make this, stop trying to claim your own victory. Jesus has already claimed it. Just, just accept his victory. And and you, we think that's something you do at the moment of salvation. And then like you, then you're on your own. No, that's something we come back to over and over and over again. That's why we still preach the gospel to those who are already in the kingdom. Because we need it every day. Um, And so, um, and so then in, let's see, Um, so Paul, or so not Paul, Peter. Um, Peter goes on and says For you have spent enough time in the past Doing what pagans choose to do Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies Carousing and detestable idolatry They think it strange you do not plunge with them Into the same flood of dissipation And they heap abuse on you But they will have to give account to him Who is ready to judge the living and the dead And so back in you know the, the, the list that Peter mentions there that's, Those are things that um, The people he's writing to The church he's writing to He's calling them just to leave it behind um, they say they think it's strange you don't plunge with them into the same flow of dissipation. And, and that's exactly, that is so on point. That is what the church is. The church is strange. The church is strange to the rest of the world and it's supposed to be because strange isn't always a bad thing. Strange sometimes means different, unusual. So we are an unusual group here. The body of Christ is an unusual group because it's, it's pure. It's, 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 it's um, it's living. It's just, it's just so vibrant. And it's, um, it, it rejects what the rest of the world worships. And it's an honor to be a part, part of that. It comes at a high price, though. As we see, the people, people Peter is writing to are facing intense persecution. And Jesus never promised us that we would be exempt from that. When he was promising that to the Twelve, and Twelve wrote that down, we can know that Jesus was promising that to us as well because we follow him. And so, um, and also um, in verse 6, it says, For this reason the gospel is preached even to those who are now dead, so they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. And um, Now the um, New Living Translation, which is more there's like the word more of a word for word based translation and an idea for idea based translation. Um, That translation says that is why the good news was preached to those who are now dead. So although they were destined to die, like all people, they now live forever with God in the Spirit. And Paul writes a lot about this too. How how the body is wasting away, but inwardly we're being in our souls and our spirits we're being renewed day by day. in a sense, you know, our bodies were judged in Adam when the whole earth was was fallen, and, and we see that now that our bo- bodies are growing older and becoming more decrepit. Um, but within them, the cool thing about that, the miracle of that, is with these dying bodies, there inside of them, there is a living eternal spirit. Um, God really, really. Messed me up in in a very beautiful way with that thought earlier this year. Um, just when, you know, I was like my, my my back was sore or something like that, and I was just like, this body is is kind of the idea. It's like this body is is dying, just gradually dying. But there's inside of it, there's God's presence. He chose to live inside of this dying body, and that's so mind blowing. Um, and, so, and that's, like, that's, that's more evidence of this hope that we are being set apart, even though we don't have it all together, that we still have God's perfect spirit living inside of us. Um, Peter then goes on saying, The end of all things is near. Now, um, when Jesus, before Jesus left, um, he, when he told um, the disciples, he says, I'm coming back. I'm coming back, I'm coming back. I promise you, I'm not going to send my spirit to be the seal, but I'm coming back soon. Um, many of them thought that that would be in their lifetime. Um, and Peter here says, the end of all things is near. Um, and a thing I learned about the Hebrew concept of time um, is that it is very, it's not as precise as, and as scientific, really, as our current Western idea of time and so soon may be one thing to one group and one thing to another, but um, in Matthew twenty four and twenty five, Jesus is giving um, his disciples um, kind of a layout because they ask him, "It's like, so what's the end of time going to be like?" And Jesus tells us. He tells us here, and um, um, and you know he talks about earthquakes, famines, wars, all these terrible things happening, and. Um, I think I I am guilty of kind of glossing over those verses um, because I know there's a lot of people out there that are, you know, like saying like, oh, Jesus is coming back soon. You know, this is just a sign of the end of times. The apocalypse is coming, all these different things. And it's just kind of like, like whatever, like, you know, like we're not like spiritual weathermen, like, you know, like, you know, second coming weathermen or something like that, looking for that. But at the same time, Jesus does say, um, he does say, "Be um, be wary of the seasons. Know the seasons." He used the fig tree as an example. You see, so you know when it's, when the tree starts to blossom, you know summer is near. And so he said, like, likewise, know the signs. And so he starts mentioning these things, um, and um, he says, even though the day and the hour is unknown, um, he does say to pay attention to the seasons. And in verse, um, let's see. I believe verse twenty-four of Matthew twenty-four. Um, he says, "For false false Christ and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible." See, I have told you ahead of time. And so, um, um, and so, yeah, and, and um, actually, that wasn't the verse I was looking for. In Matthew twenty-four, he says, um, "Therefore, keep watch." Um, yeah sorry verse forty two I had a little momentary dyslexia there um, in verse forty two he says therefore keep watch because you do not know on what day your lord will on what day your Lord will come, but understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would have not let his house be broken into, so you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him, and so to jump back to first Peter. When 1 Peter says, um, the end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Um, That same warning, that same um, encouragement that Jesus gives us there of like just be watchful, be vigilant, be ready. Keep your minds ready. And Peter is talking about this for the sake of our prayer lives, of just being in tune with God's heart, in tune with God's spirit, Um because it says the end is near. Um, and um, <clears throat> this doesn't mean we need to become pr- uh, frantic or hasty or, or fearful in our prayer life. Um, I don't think Jesus gave us that warning to worry us that, because he earlier said, do not worry. <laughs> um, I think he's doing that so that we can be in tune with his, with his spirit, in tune with him, being ready, being watchful, being Um, as Jesus says, being wise as serpents but innocent as doves. Um, And with that knowledge, um, we arm ourselves. It means we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We don't become frantic and, and worrisome, but we also don't become lazy either. We keep our eyes sharp. We keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We focus on him and what he's doing and where he's moving in our city. Peter then says, above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. Um, This is what we need to be doing in the midst of trial and persecution. Even in the absence of it. um, But especially in the midst of it. um, Because that is what sets the church apart. There are many things that set the church apart. But the thing Jesus hits on in John 13 um, is that we love one another. Because he says, My children, I will be with you only a little longer you will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He says that like three different times. Um, that's what makes the bride the bride. That's what, make the, that's what makes the church beautiful is the love that Jesus showed for for her and the love, love that the bride shows for itself, a lot for one another within the church. Um, and um, on that note, that's kind of where that's, that starts this sort of next little portion of a few verses where um, Peter begins to show some actually pretty practical things that make the church different, that make the church strange and unusual to the rest of the world, but loyal to Jesus. Um, And that, but it starts with love. Um, And it says, above all else, love each other deeply. Um, That's something that I think we always need to be coming back to and, and, and evaluating and inviting the Lord really to search us and know us individually and corporately to see, are we loving each other the way that you want us to? And then there's some examples of really what that love looks like. It says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, I want to stop there and, and hop on a soapbox for a second. Um, hospitality is something that I believe this church does extremely well. Um, I believe this church is very excellent in our hospitality, and um, our size, I think, is a huge piece of that, that we really are... This every person I've talked to if One hope doesn't really call this a church as much as they call it family and I think that's a beautiful sign that it's like evidence that the Lord is in this church He's moving and working through us to love one another deeply and to be so hospitable but I have to ask myself individually how am I doing with hospitality? And I think it's something we need to ask ourselves individually how hospitable am I? How open is my house to people who are outside of it? How available am I? How available is my house for other people? I, I thought some our elders, I think, are such stellar examples of this. Not to prop you guys up, but really just to encourage us, the rest of the church, to look, to look at them as an example of what hospitality looks like. I know that it, um, I mean, so I hope, um, you know, a lot of them have kids and stuff, but I know that any any time I can come by um, Chet or Derek or Michael's house, um, oh, Kevin's. Kevin's house, <laughs> no, Kevin. oh Pepin's house, right. yes, the Pepin's house, especially the Pepin's house. Um, there's so many beautiful examples of that, um, and, and the thing I want to like, you know, I, when I see that example, I want to challenge myself. Like, how open is my house? This open, it may be much smaller, and it may, you know maybe may have a little bit of a roach problem, but. How open is my house for people to come and, and, and join and feel at home with me? And that's really what it comes down to. That's really what hospitality is, is, is allowing others to feel like they're at home when they're with you. And that all comes back to Jesus. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. He's gotten everything that was in our, in between us out of the way so that we can come and be ourselves with him and be at home with him. We can enter into his rest, as it says in Hebrews. And that's what I want to have in my house. I want my house to have an atmosphere where people can feel themselves in there. And I think a lot of times in the church today, there's this really huge chasm between the the spiritual and the practical. And I think really the spiritual is in the practical. The way that we invite people to our house is such an evidence of what Jesus is doing in us. And speaking of practical, the next time you guys, and this is, I think this is, I'm going to focus more on the college students or people who are like me. Um, the next time you go gro- grocery shopping, next time you go grocery shopping, buy a set of snacks, a box of tea packets, or, or just just some like trail mix or whatever, and mark on it guests. And when you come, bring, come home, set that aside because you never know when you're going to have somebody over and this is like a believer, a non-believer, a really close friend, a new friend, whoever. Um, I think with good friends, too, we sometimes are like we, we get into this lull of being like, eh, whatever, come on over. And, and we don't go out of our way to make them feel especially at home. We don't offer them tea, snacks, food, anything. Um, and I know I'm guilty of that. Um, on top of that, when you go out to a restaurant, always leave like, a good tip. And again, super practical, but um, a quick story about that. I have a really good friend who worked at Jason's Deli. Um, and she's a follower of Jesus, but most of her coworkers are not. And a lot of times she would work the Sunday afternoon shift. And she, and she says, everyone there hates Sunday afternoons. They are the worst times because everyone is getting out of ch- everyone comes in from church, they make a mess, they're loud, noisy really into themselves, and a lot of them don't tip. But what's wor- almost worse than that is a lot of people, instead of leaving a tip, will write a Bible verse, a Bible reference on the receipt. Like, what message is that sending? What, is that a church people want to be a part of? Is that a church that is welcoming, that says, I want you to feel at home when you're with me. I want you to feel blessed and, je- and, and just lavished upon when you're in my presence. Because Jesus makes us feel blessed and lavished upon when we're in his. And he's living inside of us. So are we taking those practical steps, even sacrifice, to really make people feel generously lavished upon? Um, And on that note, generosity. Stinginess and cheapness are not fruits of the Spirit. We as followers of Jesus should be marked by the generosity and abundance that he has given us in the way that we give. We should be the most non-withholding people because of the God that we serve. We should be known as a church that is just so, regardless of our income, regardless of our financial situation, is just so sacrificially generous. Because, um, well, what was Jesus' first miracle? He took six stone water jars, which contained 30 gallons each, adding up to 180 gallons, 682 liters. That's the equivalent of 908 bottles of wine. He took the water and made 908 bottles of wine at the end of a wedding party. That would have killed people. That's so much wine. Why? That's like in such an extravagant, mind-blowing waste, it seems. But the first miracle that Jesus did, even I think what it points to most is his extravagance is his abundance and his abundant generosity. And what does Ephesians 1 say about God's blessings towards us? He says, Praise be to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Romans 8, 32 says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? God bankrupted heaven for us. He took the crown jewel of the highest of the highest of heavens and allowed him to be murdered for us. That is something we could never repay. But as we see, as we move on from that and and look into the next verses, it kind of shows us what our response to that is. Peter says, if anyone speaks... Oh, it says, "Sorry, in verse ten, he says each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Grace is giving; is us receiving something we never deserved. So we administer that in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with all the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Christ, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen." Um, I had a sort of under just a sort of a revelation about service about a week ago and that is that opportunities to serve are not, oops, I'm not used to wearing this thing. Um, Opportunities to serve, I think a lot of times are viewed as something that is a burden or a task or something we really don't want to do. But when we realize everything that God has done for us, we realize that opportunities to serve are one of the best things he could have done for us because service is our opportunity to say thank you. When Jesus says, what you did for the least of these, you have done for me. If you want to thank me, do this. This, isn't a, a, this is a command, but it's also an opportunity because if we've been given all these things and have no way to give anything back, it's, it, it's like we're, we'll, be, we'll explode because we're so filled with more treasure, more just glory than we could ever know what to do with. So Jesus in service and in gifts has given us an outlet to say thank you, God. Thank you. Um, and, um, oh, I'm so sorry. One more note about hospitality. Um, I'm sorry I missed this. I really need to go back and hit on this. Um, it is a gift that certain individuals have been blessed with, and I'm not one of those individuals, but we, I think, you know, if we just like look around the church, we know who those people are because they strive so, they just shine so much in it, but that is not, that does not mean that it is something we can delegate. We can't delegate hospitality. We've been commanded to have it, to own it, so sorry, I'm going to jump back again, um, and so, but the gifts we have been given, we, we give them away because it's our way of expressing thanks to our God. When we realize God has given us and done for us everything that he has and, and then some that we don't even know of. And on top of that, has given us works to do, as it says in Ephesians, given us works in advance to do. Um, not as an opportunity to pay him back. is like, okay, you owe me, pay up. But, as an opportunity to thank him, our whole mindset changes. So service is not a task. It's an expression of gratitude. And so, um, so um, Paul was, our Jesus has been really good to us through Peter because he's laid out for us some really easy, practical examples of ways that we can express our thanks to God and to be, become like Jesus through the power that Jesus has given us through his Holy Spirit. Um, So let me pray for us and then we'll go into open time. (sighs) Jesus, I just want to thank you right now for practicality. I think a lot of times we get so confused with um, the deep spiritual truths that you've given us and we can get sometimes our our heads in the clouds and, and not know what we can do. Even though it's not about what we do, thank you for giving us a practical way that we can say thank you, that this burning, exploding desire in us can bless you through our hands, through our mouths, through these bodies that are, as we just read, are dying away. But you're redeeming them. And Jesus, I thank you for that we are dead to sin. I thank you that it has no power over us anymore. And right now, Jesus, I ask that you would pour out your spirit in this, in this room, that your sons and daughters would um, be awakened by your Holy Spirit to the fact that the sin that they've dealt with or maybe are dealing with is something that you actually have already dealt with and ended in them. And right now I pray that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that power that lives within us, would awaken us to that reality that we don't have to deal with our sin anymore. We can just leave it and chase after you. I thank you for removing everything that was, that was in the way between us so that you can be with us and we can be with you and that being so filled with your love, we can bless and love this world. And in Jesus, we confess that's a hard task for us, but we surrender ourselves to you as best as we know how and we invite you to love this city through us. Let us be that conduit through which you embrace your children. And so, Father, I pray you bless the rest of this time that we would be so in love, so much more in love with you, so much more free, so much more at home with you, so much so free to be ourselves in your presence, because that's what you do. You invite us in as we are into your family and to your table. And we just thank you. We love you. We pray this in all in Jesus' name. Amen.